You're listening to The Modern Love Project. We are your hosts, Carly and Simon. Here at The Modern Love Project, we candidly discuss... Romantic relationships. Friendship. Family. Sexuality. Modern parenting. Topical social issues. Let's do this. Simon Shimmy. Shimmy, shimmy. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back, everybody. I have Carly here, of course, but also Lisa as well to join us for part two of Fertility. Um, we're going to continue our discussions on the road to parenthood. In part one, we introduce Lisa and her journey, where she's at right now, but we have a few more things we'd like to cover. So, yes, all right, I'll, I'll talk yeah, now. <laughs> you can talk now. Yeah, ask away, Carly. Awesome. So, as Simon mentioned, the first episode was really around both his and Lisa's separate journeys to parenthood and conception. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode we're going to talk through I guess, some of the nitty gritty. And as somebody who had a very traditional pregnancy journey. And to parenthood, I have things I would love to ask you guys because I really want people to consider, I guess, what it looks like for you. Um, Awesome. So let's start with what have been some of the advantages and disadvantages of your journey? I'm sure there is many and I'm sure they look slightly different for both of you. Mm -hmm. Did you want to kick it off, Lisa? Yeah. Sure. So... Obviously, we were at a financial advantage mm-hmm. uh, because of um, Amy's career. So that really helped us. I think I mentioned, I don't know if I did, um, you know, we did eight cycles in two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was one for us. Um, another advantage, I don't know, which I noticed was one for us is that, you know, we both were very supportive to each other. So having a supportive partner yeah. was a huge one for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I was very much in um in the IVF community on Facebook and there was a lot of a lot of people there who did not have the same support mm-hmm. um support network from their partner and their family. Why so, do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. Is it because for one person, if you are the one going through the procedures, it's a little bit closer to home maybe than if you are the one that's slightly more removed, like your journeys look a little bit different or do you just think it's like a reflection of where your relationship's are in different areas? I think it's a reflection of where a relationship is at yeah, and also a reflection on the partner as well because... Yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm being a little one-sided here, but, you know, the stories that you hear are basically heterosexual couples and it's usually the man who thinks it's a waste of time. You know, IVF is a waste of time. They don't want to spend the money, you know, um, and then the relationship ends kind of thing. So I think in a sense we're also at an an advantage, Amy and I, because – We've got two female reproductive systems. Right. So we've got two I groups. I didn't even think about that. We've got her eggs and my eggs. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if we were hypothetically, you know, in a heterosexual relationship, it would just be 
for example, if I was, it would just be one womb, yeah. my egg. So you've yeah. got my a little eggs. bit more options and opportunities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I like also want to say that if you're, whatever relationship you're in and let's say you only need a sperm donor, mm-hmm. there are still more options to get a sperm donor than there are to get an egg donor or a surrogate. Right. So, like, when I'm here I, shaking my head, by the way. Yeah. When I heard that you were, you had started your journey with your partner, mm. the first thing that came into my head was like, oh, mm. I really, really, really hope yeah. that they find an egg donor or a surrogate because there are so many people out there that are on wait lists Mm -hmm. for years. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I have to say as well, listening to you talk about your advantages, you're coming from, I guess, a disadvantaged position and you're still finding silver linings Mm. within your circumstance. Oh, there's so many. Okay. I love that. Like, like, I guess in a sense of what you're saying is that you being in a same sex relationship is a really great advantage yeah, <laughs> for yeah. you. Woo, and I love can that. we get that again? Can we get like, that on the t-shirt? I know it's like I feel like that's a huge win <laughs> for is. like the non-heteros, yeah. you know? Woohoo. <laughs> Sorry, continue when you're like I just thought I'd make a note of that. It's like, hell yeah, one for us. Um work flexibility. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's like when you're going through IVF or IUIs and let's say, you know, you got to go in for your procedure and, you know, it's all based on the timing of your ovulation, mm-hmm. you might not have that flexibility with work yeah. to go, hey, sorry, I'm ovulating right now. The doctor wants to see me in an hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you might have the flexibility but not want to share what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, you know, we were you know, we were at an advantage where, you know, work was flexible enough for Amy, um, where we were both able to be there throughout the whole journey together. We didn't yeah. have to go separately. So yeah. um which probably adds to you feeling supported as well. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, partners who, for example, are uh fly in, fly out, mm-hmm. you know, they would miss out on a lot through a cycle right. so um yeah that's another one that you don't really think about no. yeah for sure yeah so disadvantages i would say for us was uh not being able to find a known donor mm-hmm. um okay. yeah and that all comes down to the struggles that our future child may face in their life Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of their basic human rights are taken away. Um, mm-hmm. For example, um, like their, knowing their family, their background, yeah, heritage. Yeah. I, exactly. You know, sense yeah. of self, um, you know, mm. their identity and mm-hmm. access to um, all their medical history as well yeah. from, you know, their donor family's side. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a huge one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are not many known donors out there. So uh, that was a disadvantage for us. Uh, A huge one was the mental, emotional and physical toll on my Mm -hmm. body. Yeah. I have gained 15 kilos Mm -hmm. just from doing 
the fertility treatment. Mm -hmm. So before pregnancy. Yeah. 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 So my body hasn't been my own for two years. Wow. And now I'm pregnant. So... Yeah, it's it's a huge toll. I love the way you worded that yeah, just me then. Too. Yeah, yeah. My body has not been my like my own. Also, yeah. if well. you're if this is not a journey that you're sharing with people, yeah, and your body's looking and feeling differently, yeah, people are gonna notice, and that mm. might not be something that you're wanting to share that yeah. what you're doing in the background. So then there's all sorts of like I guess judgment and commentary on that as well yeah and you know I try so hard to you know be light-hearted at the situation you know like I'm constantly making fun of my like right boob um when I did my <laughs> why because Is when it I bigger than the other? <laughs> like so much so <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's so. Like, I want to look down. Like, okay. <laughs> it takes a lot for me to like arrange them in right. such a way that you can't tell. But Amy knows. Like, yeah. we're always like, "Wow, that ain't right," you know. And I'm just like, "Oh, I can't wear most of my clothes." Yeah, because it's so obvious. So the 15 kilos have just gone to one specific. It literally has. It has. Oh, you know. Um, and during my process, uh, my IVF um, fertility journey, I was doing acupuncture. I was doing two PT sessions a week. Mm. I got to the point where I was lifting 100 kilos on the hack squat. Yeah, so right, that's yeah. the I'm squat pretend, machine. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm going to pretend on The squat is. machine, yeah. which is a huge yeah. amount. Yeah. But then, like, when I looked at myself in the mirror – I looked like someone who was unfit, someone mm. who was unhealthy oh. because yeah. I was so puffy and swollen. Yeah. yeah. So um, you're having a disassociation with your body. Yeah. Through doing these. Yeah. And it's really cycles. hard to like look at my body and go, I'm eating so nutritiously. I'm being yeah. so healthy. Yeah. yeah. I'm so active. Yeah. Yet it is the biggest I have ever looked. Yeah. And it's hard for it's hard because I'm working so hard mentally to not fat shame myself. Yeah. yeah. And then I also feel really uncomfortable being out in public because there's still, still a lot of fat phobia out there. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot to like go through. Mm. Um, so I've had to work do a lot of inner work to kind of be able to love my body yeah um and you know kind of just tell myself you know this this is the body that's going to give me my future child so I need to love it and it's okay that it is the way that it is right now so yeah and you know wow I've you know even at three and a half months pregnant now I'm I show a lot more Mm-hmm. But you got to understand that I just spent two years. One of the injections that I had was called pregnal injections, and it actually tricks your body into thinking you're pregnant. Yeah. And I've had uh, those injections so many times in two years that my body has just been thinking it's pregnant for two years. Mm-hmm. We talked yeah. about this yeah. offline, and I just want to say there is never an occasion where you are to give commentary yeah. on how a pregnant woman looks. Yeah. Because 100%. everybody carries different. Everybody, yeah. you know, I know for me I was a lot bigger the second time because my body just knew what it was doing and got bigger yeah. quicker. 
you don't know how many children people are carrying inside. Like there's just no, no issues that you're having. We don't don't want to hear. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. We don't want to hear how you're carrying or you look big or you look small for how, like none of it. Just nobody's Mm. asking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But people do make comments and I've already, as I mentioned to you, I've already had the comments at a maternity store where uh, they should definitely know better of any places yeah um so it kind of you kind of have to fight that you know battle to kind of be able to step outside your house and be like no I'm beautiful the way that I am yeah this is you know a beautiful process and this is you know my body and that's okay so um yeah it's I love that yeah like I said it's been a huge toll on my body. Um, and, yeah, the disadvantage, the other one was uh, time, which I mentioned. We didn't have the time to be able to just mm. kind of do things the way we wanted to do them. We wanted mm. to get a house first. So yeah. Yeah. that's out the window for a while. Yeah. Um, and, actually, COVID was a disadvantage for us. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For a while, they stopped all like fertility treatments and stuff for a couple yeah. of months, and yeah, like egg retrievals, like inseminations, yeah. all that stopped mm. for quite yeah. a while, which would have brought such a massive strain down. Well, that probably would have been impact. the end of the journey for some people. Yeah, it was. 100%. It was. There was a bit of an uproar within the fertility community. Um, so they reinstated, um, you know, fertility procedures. Um, but when they did that, there was an uproar from uh, people who didn't know anything about, you know, infertility. They're yeah. like, well, you know, I've got surgery, elective surgery, you know, to get yeah. a reduction. Yeah. But you get to do what you want to do and yeah. that's your choice. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not understanding that, you know, and this is why I really wanted to talk about it yeah. because I would hope that it's because people are coming from a place of ignorance rather than yeah. just being an outright asshole. Yeah. It's not something that unless you are faced with it yourself, it's not something you probably would ever take a deep dive on unless it affects you directly or yeah. through someone that's a really close friend of yours. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. Again, with COVID, um, when we did our first IVF cycle, um, it was around the time that, you know, borders opened Mm -hmm. and we, you know, cases started rising and pregnant women or people going through IVF are at higher risk. So Mm -hmm. when we did our our first IVF cycle, I was isolated from everyone. I was isolated from Amy. I was isolated from family. I was isolated from friends for a good whole month. Yeah. Um, And that wasn't great on, like, my mental health either. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Wow. Fertility during COVID was not. That's just an extra level. Yeah, it's just an extra level. It's hard at the best of times, but with that, yeah, and then because of the rental crisis, we had family living with us because they couldn't get a house. Mm-hmm. So we're going through fertility um, with people living with us. and During a pandemic. During a pandemic. <laughs> and then they've got, you know, our little niece who goes to daycare 
um, all the germs. Yeah. There's wow. more germs there. Yeah. So you don't want to be like go through all these injections and then having your cycle cancelled either. Right. Because um, that can be costly too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and apart from that, the other disadvantage I had was that the IVF journey in general from the mental, emotional, physical aspect affected my desire to want pleasure. Yeah, Are we right. talking sexual pleasure? Yeah, yes. any, any type. That is any not where I thought I was going to go. Oh, I know exactly where that was going. <laughs> You're like, I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, I'm talking like she is not interested. Yeah. Like nothing. There is no blood flow yeah. going to that area. Like she's just not. Yeah. Leave her alone. Yeah. I think as well Ew. as that level of... <laughs> it's just it's a lot of disassociation with your body yeah. as well when you're pregnant because you're like oh like there's all these weird things happening to my body and I don't feel how I'd usually feel and I don't look how I would usually look yeah. but yeah and I always say to Amy um for me I need to feel sexy mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and there's nothing sexy about going through fertility treatment yeah, being right. bloated and swollen and that kind of stuff yeah yeah and there's yeah. other ways of ticking those boxes. Mm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with advantages and disadvantages. What right. about you, Sai Sai? Is um, there any parallels? Or... Well, that just brought up a lot of advantages <laughs> for me as a male, <laughs> you know? Like... I'm just watching you two as well listen to each other and being like, I see this and I'm like, oh, yeah, like yeah. you can just see this, like similarities. Like, the... The issues, or sorry, the disadvantages that you had, Lisa, are quite specific to you as a female yeah. mm-hmm. that I would have never had to consider, yeah. you know, as a male. Mm-hmm. So some of the things you're saying, I'm like, wow, well, aren't I privileged in that sense that I don't have to worry about yeah. sex drive or but go But then through. one of the other privileges we're talking about offline, you were at a disadvantage because you're a male. Yes, so yes. Yeah. All right, all right. I'll get into... <laughs> the advantages, yeah. which I'm really struggling with this one because at the moment I'm not really seeing any advantages. Yeah, I was about to <laughs> like, say, both, it comes it's up just, pretty spectacular. Yeah, um, I guess with the connection I made with our surrogate, like mm-hmm. if we weren't going through this process, we'd never have met our surrogate and mm-hmm. missed out on that friendship. So mm-hmm. um, I've really gotten to see David shine in this particular situation mm-hmm. in a way that I probably will not have been able to see before so has this brought you guys closer together because i imagine it we've be... always been at 100 so imagine this could cause people to really yeah. separate or have challenges oh, in their it does test you like, it does test you yeah. for sure but I, yeah. but it's never tested us in a i guess in a negative way if that mm-hmm. makes sense like we've we've communicated we've overcome together individually and it's been great 
having each other as supportive as we yeah, are. Yeah, that's um, So I, I guess that's an advantage. We both have yeah. a very supportive husband. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, um, I would you just can move on. A, you can get a disadvantages. That's yeah, fine. I think I'm going to have to because uh, something else probably come up in advantage. But disadvantages is the cost. I think you said in part one, Lisa, that the cost for you from start to finish was about $60,000. Yeah. For us, it's about $100,000 um, as a starting point. Why um, is... Why is it so expensive? Yeah. Because a few reasons. One of them being is we don't get any Medicare rebates because we're male. Mm-hmm. We're choosing to be parents. This isn't a fertility issue we're having because we're female. And because it's our choice to be parents, we don't fall under a bracket of having infertility issues. We have to pay full rates. Yeah. But if I was a woman who was trying to conceive but couldn't due to infertility issues, I would be allowed to have Medicare rebates and have it a lot cheaper. Yeah. Yes, I just want to interject penis, so. there because I feel like that's not you having a dig at women. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely the not. disparity is disgusting. Oh, yeah, for sure. Financial aid. Yeah. yeah. The way it's, I guess, viewed mm-hmm. by the government. I guess. They're the ones that run Medicare. Mm -hmm. Um, So I find it quite discriminatory. Mm -hmm. But that's another issue. It's amazing, though, because I'm just thinking about my journey and I mentioned that, you know, as a same-sex couple, you know, after our third unsuccessful try, Mm. we got that rebate. We got that infertility stamp, Mm -hmm. um, even though there wasn't really anything that they could tell us was wrong with me at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you necessarily wouldn't get that. You wouldn't get that. Okay, mm. well, you know, it's been mm. a few goes. Yeah. 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 So you get a rebate now kind of thing because that's what we got. So that's just, yeah, that's a huge eye opener for me just to yeah. see it from that perspective. So even within yeah. this disadvantaged circumstance of how you guys have to go to conceive children there's still levels of disadvantage depending on your circumstances yeah Yeah. 100% yeah Yeah. more disadvantages Mm -hmm. I guess like Lisa said the emotional and mental toll that Mm -hmm. it's taken it's just constantly in the back of your mind like always right like it's always something that's ticking away in your back of your head that you're thinking about and because I have a team of people, mm-hmm. my husband, egg donor, our surrogate, there's that's three other people that I have to be conscious of mm-hmm. and make sure they know what they're doing or need to yeah. do, communicate with. I've naturally been the one that's kind of leading it. So I guess there's a bit more pressure on me to kind of keep things going. And that's just purely down to the fact that um, David works sometimes 60 to 70 hour weeks so sometimes it has to be me to do all the organizing that's completely fine yeah the emotional mental toll has been uh, i guess surprising even though we were always always taught at the start like you know be prepared for disappointment and it's Mm going to be a long journey it's you know gonna ebb and flow up down wavy whatever but nothing's ever going to really fully prepare you for yeah. the things yeah. that might happen. So I get that they probably have to say that too, like be prepared, yeah. you know, for mm. disappointment, for things to change and not go how yeah. you want. Yeah. But what a yeah. way to enter into what's supposed to be a happy and exciting yeah. prospect. Like, yeah, and gosh. I think it's just everyone's just trying to 
give you all the information yeah. that I can provide you with. Yeah. I'll appreciate that. I really do. For me, that's probably why I'm a bit protective about how much how much information I disclose. Mm-hmm. But I'm you know, fully prepared, to be honest, now through our journey. I know, I guess, one of the biggest advantages that we found our egg donor and our surrogate quite early on. And I know a lot of people have been waiting for years. Um, I'm part of the surrogacy Facebook group. Um, and there's a lot of people... A lot of intended parents in that group who have been trying to find a surrogate or, or egg donor for you know three, four, five years now, and are still yeah. waiting. Mm-hmm. And so I feel quite lucky, privileged to have found our team so early on. We've only been doing this for almost a year, so yeah, yeah, I feel very fortunate. But at the same time. There's no guarantee with either yeah, of them. Yeah, so and you're like haven't... being optimistic, but you're also apprehensive yeah. optimistic about it. Yeah, because neither our surrogate or our donor have completed their testing yet, so we don't even know if... It's all viable. It's all viable. Yeah. They're all good to go, So, which is always in the back of your mind as well. Yeah. Like, so it's just, you know, there's constant thoughts in the back of your head, so... Wow, that's a lot. Yes. Okay, so now that we've discussed, I guess, past or your journey thus far mm-hmm. i would love to talk to you guys about what the future looks like in regard to hopefully at the end of your journey having a child or children um what does it look like for you guys in terms of sharing your journey with them okay. as in like how much do you disclose when do mm-hmm. you disclose yeah because this is a, a massive thing that's going to impact their life as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Take it away, Lisa. Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, we are going to be sharing everything mm-hmm. with our children. Um, our donor is contactable at the age of 18 and there is potential there for um, early access, which is great. Is that the child's decision? Yes, the... the child's decision. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, we spoke about having to do mandatory counselling. Mm-hmm. So they let us know the importance of telling our children as soon as possible mm-hmm. due to the internal damage over their own identity and sense of self yeah. from hiding their conception, including um, your donor's identity being anonymous. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Just a few things that I wrote down. Anonymity is unethical and 81% of DCP donor-conceived people want it banned completely Um, and it still isn't in a lot of countries. Anonymous donation in Australia was abolished and came into effect in 1998. However, it was only in 2016 that legislation passed which enabled all donor-conceived people to receive identifying information about their sperm, egg, or embryo donors. So this was also called Norell's Law. And I try not to cry because I always get emotional. Um, Norell's Law honoured the memory of Norell Gretsch, who passed away in 2013 Mm -hmm. due to hereditable bowel cancer. So she searched for her donor for 15 years Mm -hmm. and engaged in extensive lobbying to create legal change 
for donor-conceived people to know their biological heritage. So because Narelle was conceived before 1998, she had no legal right to know her sperm donor's identity. Okay. Um, So you think about people like Narelle, if they were granted access to their donor's information, that could have led to early screening and Mm. early testing, Mm. which would have prevented her death and also would have helped warn any half-siblings that she had for them to get tested as well. So the only positive that I could find to this particular person's story is that she did actually get to meet her biological father six weeks before she passed. So, yeah, it's huge. Um, We're very privileged, again, to be in Australia um, to actually be able to access our donor's information. Um, But I can't help but think about, you know, how many people are still suffering like Narelle did, you know, not just from a medical perspective but from an identity perspective as well. This is such a tricky thing because my brain straight away went to is the anonymity for the donor to protect them because they don't want to be found um, and if they're, if that's taken away, mm. do you think that will impact the amount of people that are donating? Yeah, mm. so um, I had a look at... A few facts in regards to sperm donation in Australia. Uh, I mentioned that for me, I struggled to find a sperm donor. There are not many local donors in Australia. In America, donors um, get paid for their donation. In Australia, it's illegal because it's unethical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a huge, huge thing. The same as um, egg donation and yeah. surrogacy. Yeah. Ethically and legally, you cannot pay someone to be an egg donor or pay someone to be yeah. a surrogate. And if you do decide to donate, the costs of all the tests that need to be run and the procedures that need to happen are out of your own expense. But Medicare will still reimburse you 100%. Mm-hmm. But still, you still have to have that money there, which yes. is... Mm-hmm quite a few thousand dollars yeah. to be able to go through the process. So I guess when we're talking ethics, the challenging thing is if you potentially lose the amount of people donating, then that impacts people that are wanting to have children. However, on the flip side, if we continue to have anonymous donation, that links back to the child and mm-hmm. their quality of yeah. life. Mm-hmm. and their health and, yeah. um, I guess, their social standing in the world and how yeah. they feel about themselves. Yeah. So it's such a tricky yeah. it's a double-edged so sword. It is. With us, we uh, the donor that we used is from the Seattle Sperm Bank, mm-hmm. and uh, that donor can donate to 10 families here in Australia, 25 in America. If we used a local donor... That's only 10 families, not the 10 plus 25 like it is in America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that potential there for our child to have less half-siblings. Um, and, 
an easier way to connect with their donor when they turn 18. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, when my child turns 18 Mm -hmm. and wants to connect, they're going to be looking for siblings all over the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not just in one country. Yeah. Um, So what does this conversation look like with your child? And do they recommend an age to introduce these ideas because if I look at um, Abel who's eight I was saying to Sean I think he's going to start asking questions about sex and conception soon but that's not a conversation that we would have had probably prior to this yeah but then in your circumstance it looks different because your kids are probably going to have a level of you know, society teaches us it's a man and a woman and they're going to look and go, well, my family doesn't look like that, so how has it happened? So yeah. then you're going to be introducing different ideas probably sooner. Yeah. So how Since do you... day one. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like so as soon as out of the womb. Yeah. yeah. So day one, as soon as possible. So we've mm-hmm. got uh, a journal that we kept, an IVF journal, which, you know, kind of we wrote down, you know, what the process idea. was for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a little... Uh, Polaroid camera we did some photos in there so we'll be able to share that Mm -hmm. there's also we're going to make a donor book Mm -hmm. with pictures so all the information we got from the donor we're going to put that into a little picture book for our child so I think there's like websites online that you can use and there's actually a lot of children's books Mm. where they talk about the different types of Families and different ways that children, yeah, so many different ways that you know children Mm -hmm. are made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so that way you just you're normally you're normalizing it from day dot. Yeah, um, we were in current, like, I guess because we're in a fortunate position where our egg donor is actually a mutual friend. Mm -hmm. Um, no matter how we had our kid, the egg donor was always going to be auntie anyway Mm -hmm. but because this friend is going to be an egg donor that auntie is even more so encouraged because yeah it connects family it connects Mm -hmm. our child to the egg donor as this is someone that's family and important to my life not just through association because Mm -hmm. of you know friendship and that kind of stuff but also because this egg donor is how i was conceived yeah yeah we're we're encouraged to start those conversations straight away um, yeah. and through those resources online like the book like children's books that kind of stuff and particular language that we should be using and they yeah the language is mm, a huge factor yeah. just because they are a donor to you mm-hmm. doesn't mean that your child is going to see them or want to call them a donor mm-hmm. you know your child yeah. might might want to say dad yeah. might want to mm-hmm. say that's my father mm-hmm. they might want to say parent they might want to yeah. say yeah that's my donor mm-hmm. and as a parent you kind of can't really butt in and say well no I'm your parent and mm. that's the donor because yeah. each individual has different feelings mm-hmm. do you know what just struck me and this is so obvious but your journey with um, IVF and surrogacy and that it's not over when you have the baby. No. <laughs> it's forever. Yeah, it's a forever conversation. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Not yeah. just with your kids. Yeah. But with everyone that's in your life. Yeah. All the new people that you're going to meet. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Because as soon as you say, oh, yeah, I'm in a same-sex relationship and we have a kid, they're going to be like, how? Yeah. What? What the hell? How yeah. did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, it looks like I was saying the other week and about coming out. Yeah. All the time yeah. when you're in a same-sex relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know, just come out once, you come out every single day. Yeah. It's going to be the same thing for this child. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. It's an ongoing. Um, it's ongoing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think we're going to not necessarily struggle with, but we're still trying to decide, you know, what to do and what the best way to go about it is contacting half siblings Mm. um so Mm -hmm. do we make do we start that process now so that way our children have that information they're ready to go when they want to contact them Mm -hmm. but then what I'm also hearing is that that's their DNA that's their choice they have a right to choose whether they want their information out on a ancestry website or a dna registry website yeah Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like you know as a parent what do you do do you do you kind of get all that information ready for your child so that way access is easier for them yeah or do you wait and see if they they want to because some do some don't yeah Mm -hmm. i love that everything that you're saying is child-centered as well yeah Mm has to be even in the mandatory counseling that david and i did a lot of it was about you need to make sure that you use this language you need to make sure that you have the child's best interests at heart and that is them knowing their identity them knowing their background where they've come from who their family is Mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of that work involved in the mandatory counseling so as much as i thought it was fucking bullshit going I got a lot yeah. out of it in that sense yeah. of, um, I guess, what to expect and how to navigate having a child in a surrogate and egg donor yeah. situation. Yeah, so. it was so funny going into the mandatory counselling because, like, I was, like, so anxious. I was like, what if they think I'm too crazy to have kids, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. i got to act really normal. And yeah. I'm like, why am I thinking that? Because, you know, mm. it was... I think that's what made me angry about it when Simon yeah. told me about it is because I look at it as, like, the extra layer of pressure it puts on you guys. And I know you get things out of it and you learn and it's there to help you guys yeah. and guide you through the process. But it's that extra scrutiny mm. of you becoming parents yeah. that other people don't have I to go through. I felt like I was on trial. Yeah. Yes. You know, to prove that yes. I was... Yeah. Yeah. Worthy. 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 Yeah, it's worthy yeah. to yeah. be able to become a parent. Yeah. yeah. So that was a real hard one. Mm. And I know um, I mm-hmm. mentioned before that another struggle that we're going to have with our kids is navigating um, the conversation we're going to have when they're at that age where they want to be intimate themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they meet someone at a club or school or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, what do they do? Do they have to say, hey, is your daddy really your daddy? Yeah. You know, before they, you know, engage in anything mm-hmm. that's potentially mm-hmm. sexual. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I'm going to have that conversation with my child. I don't know how I'm going to help my child navigate that, but... Mm-hmm. We'll like, find out. Even though the chances yeah. are incredibly low, there's you still it's have still to. a chance. Like it's still, still could a chance. Be a thing. Yeah, Just wow. because mandatory counselling 
um, suggest and highly recommend that you tell your children about their conception, that does not mean that there isn't another family out there who's used the same donor as you, who lives in the same area as you, and who's actually going to do the right thing. Mm. You don't have that control. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. See, I haven't even considered that as well, that, like, well, I guess I'm in a different situation because we know our egg donor. When our egg donor has kids, our kids and her kids, they're going to be cousins in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. So I guess we don't have to worry about that aspect. But I guess, like you were saying before, Carly, even in our own community of going through this process as same-sex couples, there's still different levels that, I'm more advantaged in some ways. Yeah. You're just more advantaged in other ways that are completely different. It's just yeah. so multifaceted that it's <laughs> blowing my mind. And I'm sure it is for you, Carly, as an outsider it's, looking in, being uh, like, what the yeah, fuck? Like, I know it sounded so stupid before that it's like, oh, yeah, it like finishes once the baby's born. But it's an ongoing yeah. mm. thing for life of mm-hmm. so many different areas coming up, like yeah. health. Um, but even just know, that, I'm not just like considering the fact that they're born through donor surrogacy whatever the fact that the kid is also growing up with two same-sex parents i know they have to navigate that aspect as well so they've got these two heavy-handed aspects given to them which were out of their control (sighs) this is a lot it is okay let's is that all you guys have to say on i guess sharing your journey with your future children for now Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. What does, I know this is probably not what you want to talk about when you're still in the first part of um, your first babies, but what does expanding your family look like at a later date in terms of, is that something that you think about from the get-go? Do you want the same, are you hoping for the same surrogate, the same egg donor, the same sperm? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tell me. My thought process around this changes. And while I've always envisioned having multiple children, that was at a time when I was with a woman Mm -hmm. and where it would have been easy to go down that road. But Mm -hmm. because I chose to marry a man, things are a little bit more complicated. While I still have the desire of having multiple children, I feel like I'm now having to settle just for one. Because the financial aspect, the mental and emotional toll of it all, the uncertainty of it all, it's just like, even after we have our first kid, I would be like, I'm never fucking doing this again. But my main focus is first child, let's just get that done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, let's just focus on what's happening right now. And then we can have those conversations at a later date. Yeah. The reason I ask though is because you know it's not, an overnight thing no so if you're going oh we actually wanted to have a large family and have more than one child Mm. it's almost like you have your first child and you would need to start Start the the process process again straight away which is the conversation that i have had before is like you realize that if we do want another child and we want him at a closer Closer age age. we'd have to start immediately yeah absolutely but i guess one of the advantages of that could be that we would have multiple embryos that are already fertilized ready to go so the timing would be cut significantly just based on that fact but okay one at a time all right lisa (laughs) can you relate or you've got yeah 
Um, I, I definitely can. We're definitely going again. Um, this is the girl that just did eight rounds. I know. She, I, yeah, love I, it. I love it. I am determined. I love it. Really determined uh, to do this. Um, so I would say that we do actually have four embryos on the freeze. Amazing. It's great. It's it's awesome. Um, Amazing. Wow. But I don't. Like that's good. That's really, really okay. good. You might not know like. Okay. I'm like, it's really, yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all in all, when we did our second egg retrieval, we actually got eight embryos. Okay. Yeah, right. So we had the four. No, so we got, yeah, yeah, we got eight, and then, yeah, that's four how many we got from yeah. yeah, Yeah, so I think that's So you pretty much have four chances. We've got four chances with Amy's genetics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, again, I don't think we are going to be using them because I still want to have a child using my DNA. Right. So, so Amy, you- yeah. Well, Amy would carry or possibly. So we've had the chat. The yeah. option is Amy carrying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's not thrilled. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's any oh. opportunity you give her, she will complain. <laughs> and is she going to listen to this? Yeah. She is. She is. She's fine. Um, but it's so funny because she'll complain, she'll have her whinge, I don't want to do this, you know, look at me, like, yeah. I'm such, you know, I'm such a masculine female, like, I don't like the idea of carrying, mm-hmm. but, like, yeah. as soon as the door is closed, by the way, babe, we're definitely doing this. Yeah. You know, yeah, right. it's yeah. happening. Yeah. You know, just because I'm having my whinge, yeah. let me have my whinge. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll commit. But I'm going to commit to this and I That's want this. So, uh, I love that. So. I love that. But at the same time, I still have this mentality that what if I want to carry again? Yeah. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think what we've decided is we're going to wait and see how I go with this pregnancy, how I go with the birth, with the labor. Mm -hmm. And then it's a decision of... Don't make the decision straight after birth. (laughs) 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 I think six months after, because like Simon said, we have to start again. Yeah. We have to start again straight away. Mm-hmm. Even, oh, sorry, again, me and Sean, girl and boy, easy. <laughs> yeah. Both our genetics. Yeah. Done. You guys have that extra layer of yeah. deciding. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Genetically. Yeah. 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 Which is, I guess, is that an advantage? I don't know. But, like, because in mine and David's situation, only one of us can obviously use our sperm for our current child. Mm-hmm. So whoever's sperm when not using that person might all of a sudden change their mind and be like, actually, I do want a child that's genetically mine. Yeah. Because at the moment, it's all good. doesn't really matter whose genetics is whose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A baby will be loved no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, if either myself or David change their mind about wanting to have a child that's genetically theirs, yeah, we'd definitely have to start the process all over again. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We, we couldn't use the same embryos they've had created. If there's any left over, like you, Lisa, would have to start all over again from scratch. Yeah. Um, using that person's sperm. So. Yeah. But yeah, so that could that yeah that person's mind could change. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I don't know if my mind's going to change. It could. I might mm. be like, nah, I'm going again, and I yeah. want to carry my own genetic child. Mm. Yeah. We yes. might 
you know, Amy might carry my genetic child and I might have another one. I don't know mm. what yeah. the future's going to hold, but the options are there. Yeah. You could both carry at the same time. I always talk about that. I was and like, you're my brother. I was like, did she just say what I think she just said? That would be fun. I think, yeah. and Amy's like, no. Who's going to work? And I'm just like, okay. Oh. Um, apart from that, we are looking. We, we're not looking. We're... There's open communication there in regards to what we're going to do with our embryos. So the ones that we don't use. So we're considering the potential of possibly donating our embryos to a family. Your heart is just so huge. It's it's a huge thing. Mm. Um, Like I said, we haven't fully gone, yes, this is what we're doing. But it's something that we're really seriously thinking about because... There are so many families out there um, who are just not able to um, Mm. have a child. And just because we donate four embryos doesn't mean that there are going to be four babies out there. Yeah. That's just giving someone four chances. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about um, if we do decide to go down that path, what it would look like for us. Yeah. Yeah we did decide that we would want to actually choose the family okay, um, because we'd probably feel more comfortable choosing a family that had the same morals and values as us. Yeah. Mm. I suppose from like an LGBTQI plus perspective, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say this. I don't think I would want to donate to a family that maybe isn't an ally. Yeah. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. I don't have to apologize. For yeah. That. yeah. Like, uh, yeah, sorry. And do they know the sexual preference? Do you get that information when you're choosing donors, like sperm donors or egg donors? Do they tell you the sexual preference of the donors? Yeah, I think one of our donors was bisexual. Okay. Um, and the other two that we chose was straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm hoping that that if there was a family that was anti, that they wouldn't choose to take an egg or sperm from. Also, like, that child, if they do have a child, that child would not be a half-sibling. They would be a full sibling. Yeah. So, Mm. um, yeah, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing to take into consideration. But, again, we haven't fully gone through the process. I think that's a massive thing down the track. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, oh, you know, we've got a lot of big dreams, Amy and I, when it comes to family. Mm-hmm. We also want to adopt. Yeah, wow. That's another big one. And let's not even get into adoption because I've looked into it. I, I, oh. I love that you just brought that up because David and I have recently had that conversation as well. Yeah. And knowing full well that the process of adoption is incredibly long and exhausting and expensive do we just have one of our own and then we also start the process of adoption now yeah right now yeah in hopes that by the time the adoption process is completed we'll have an adopted kid in five years time absolutely and when you do have i don't know if you've had it but i've had a lot of people come up to me and go oh why don't you adopt Mm -hmm. um adoption is not the answer to infertility Mm -hmm. um studies have shown that people who do adopt because purely for the fact that 
they couldn't conceive on their own carry resentment towards their adopted child. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be careful there. Not only that, from a same-sex perspective, out of all the countries that you can adopt from, so you can't adopt from Australia Mm. at all because they don't have that. You can only be a... Foster parent. Sorry? Foster. Yeah, you can only be a foster. Mm. Um, there's only two countries all up out of the whole list that allow same-sex parents to adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of them don't. Yep. Um, we won't even touch yeah. on how disgusting that is. Yeah. yeah. But let it be noted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let it be known. Yeah. How we feel. Um, <laughs> unless you are financially privileged and you can go live in a country for about six months to a year and adopt privately mm-hmm. at an adoption clinic there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I say that we're financially privileged, but I don't think we could afford to go live in a a completely different country for a whole year just yeah for that whole process i love what you brought up though that because i think people come from a place of love where they're saying to you if you can't conceive naturally like have you thought of adopting yeah but i love the way that you talked about it because that in itself is all about you having a child and that does not take into consideration how an adopted child would feel just being that servicing a need for yeah. people that mm. absolutely yeah and that's not child-centered so i think that was a really yeah great yeah absolutely great perspective yeah. yeah i think what i've learned throughout this whole process is that i've just got this really really strong desire and urge to be a mother to mm-hmm. be a parent yeah and whether it's to a child that carries my dna or if it's to a child who I don't have any biological biological connection. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel too. Yeah. You know, like, I'm just like, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why we started talking about adoption is because it's almost like a, I don't know, not a safeguard, but like another, like a plan B that's there already yeah. underway just in case we can't. Yeah. With the way that we're doing it now. Yeah. So, yeah. Because it's like, at the end of the day, like, we still want to be parents. Yeah. And yeah. this is only one option. And if this option doesn't work for us and it can't happen, then we'll just move down the list and yeah, absolutely. try or something else, you know? Yeah. Or maybe being foster parents, which is another separate conversation. Oh, but... that's another conversation. Yeah. Thank you for listening to part two of... Fertility, the journey to parenthood. Stay tuned for part three, which will be released next week. And part three is going to be a doozy. That's where we get a little bit emotional, even more so. (laughs) Stay tuned.